We've started looking through 1 John, and last week we talked about um, a little bit of the background of 1 John, that it was uh, written uh, by John, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, the the one whom uh, Jesus loved. He describes himself as that. And it was written after everyone was pushed out of Jerusalem, and John had been up in the Ephesus area leading uh, the church there. And two uh, problems were noted by other historians at at that time that were going on in that area. And and it was at at this time when the word about Jesus and the life of Jesus and what Jesus was saying and and the message of Jesus, the gospel, uh, as that was going out, there was people taking that and for their own purposes... um, changing it or adjusting it or saying things about it to try and gain support for what it is they wanted to do. And the, there's lots of ways that we do that. And the two big ways that were happening then was there was one group who was just flat out making things up about Jesus. Um, it was sort of at the beginning of this sort of Gnostic gospel stage when people were starting to just wholeheartedly say Jesus did and said and this, and but there's it, there wasn't tied to any other eyewitness accounts at this time. There were still uh, lots of people, including John himself, that had actually walked with Jesus and, and was there at the time. So, for instance, this one group would say something like, "Unless Jesus said, unless you have sex once a day, you cannot inherit the kingdom." John's just saying that just didn't happen. <laughs> That's just not a true account of what it is that Jesus actually said. So one is just a flat-out denial of what the actual words that Jesus said and just making some stuff up. And the other one is a little bit more complicated. It was sort of, from what we can gather, pushed forward by a guy that had instigated a lot of trouble for Paul and Peter in Jerusalem when the church was still centered there by saying and pushing forward that the people who came to Jesus up in this area uh, and needed to become Jewish in order to be saved, that they, couldn't, they could come to Jesus through forgiveness for their sins, but, but they needed to be circumcised and, and follow the law. And uh, the folks down in Jerusalem had, had already made statements about that, saying, look, the this is something that he's talking about is something that neither we nor our parents were able to carry. Why would we put it on these folks? But there was this... Now, what it is that he's denying isn't necessarily making stuff up about what the Bible has to say, but what he's doing is he's looking at it in light, in a light that's different than how Jesus was reading it or the message that Jesus was giving out about the gospel. And that's why he says earlier they're, they're making Jesus up. One is just making stuff up about Jesus. The other is sort of making Jesus out to be a liar because the thrust of what Jesus was saying is the gospel. And what Jesus was saying is that's been the thrust of God throughout the entire Bible. And if you don't see it in that light, then you're going to misunderstand what's being said. And, and so Paul starts his addressing that. And here's how... He starts in chapter 2. He says, my dear children, in other words, he's, it's a beloved, or he's just making it clear that, look, the, the reason why, if you want to know like what's 
motivating me to write this or what's instigating me to talk to you even or, or why it is that I'm involved. He's saying, it's because I love you and care about you. That's what's pushing it forward. He says, I love you, I care about you. And he says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Um, the word sin, sometimes for us, we don't really hear it uh, in day-to-day other than like a religious context. Uh, for, for them, it was, it, it's the same word, but it was used a lot uh, outside of a religious context. Um, it was just used to say, you know, you're making a mistake. Or for them, uh, it, it was oftentimes used to describe like an archer that was missing the mark or missing a target. And, and the only reason why I say that is because sometimes when we just encapsulate a word with a, so that the only context that we ever hear it is religious. Sometimes we miss the point of what people, in other words, you could just say, I, I don't want you to mess up. I don't want you to miss the mark. Now, a lot of times when people read this or you read different things that people say about this, They understand that John has just said, if anyone says they are without sin, they're a liar and the truth is not with them. And so they'll see that the context of what Paul, John is saying here is that we don't want to come to the place of saying that we're not sinning anymore. <laughs> but then they say, John's giving this because he wants people to understand that, yes, we're free from that. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. We're free. But there still needs to be some fear of sinning that, that's here in this context. There, there still needs to be some sort of sense of, yes, we're not saved by the law. We're not perfect. But there, there needs to be something said uh, about that, you know, that needs to be maintained, that fear, in some sort of sense in order for us, otherwise we're just going to go crazy and do a bunch of stuff. That, that, that's not exactly what John says here. That's sort of inferring something. And, and the inference is there because it's kind of as though we're saying that we're afraid of what life would be like if we weren't at least in some sense driven by fear or contained by fear, as though fear is the only reason why. But John has just said, look, there's other reasons for doing things, and he's just told them one of them. I love you. I care about you. That's why I'm doing it. He's saying, I'm not doing this because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation, or I'm afraid that something, you know, I'm not going to get some sort. He says, I'm just writing this, talking to you, because I love you, and, and I care about you. In other words, what he's saying is, just because Jesus has died for the forgiveness of our sins and we're now free from that mantle of having to conform to the law or conform to different things, or that doesn't mean that we've lost the desire to hit the mark. That doesn't mean that now we're never, we just are always going to want to mess up. That's just not the case. He says, there's still going to be that desire to not make a mistake, to, to hit the mark. That's still going to be there. It's just that the reason for that, fear is taken away. And now what we're left with is maybe a better reason 
for desiring that. In other words, he's saying what Jesus has done is not removed the desire within us to get things. You know, look, when I, I'm always laughing because whenever I go out with Drew or, or anybody really to go get something to eat, but you know, he's the only one that really notices it. I have this compulsive habit that I'll just start straightening the table up as we get done to eat, picking up the napkins, putting, putting all the bowls and plates. I don't do that because I'm a good person. It's just a compulsive habit that I have. <laughs> you know, there's lots of reasons why we're going to want to get things straightened up or this or that. And the best of those reasons would be, I actually care about someone. I love them. The worst of those reasons, maybe you might say, would just be fear. And what Jesus is doing is he's not just changing things so now no one has any desire to do anything good. That doesn't fit with reality. All he's doing is just refocusing things so that we're, if we're going to do it, hopefully the reason why we're doing it is that we care about someone or we care about God. And then he says, but if anybody does sin, goes back to that, We have an advocate. An advocate just means someone that's going to come to our aid. And he says, uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In other words, you might, if you go back to that archery now, if we miss the target, don't worry. There's someone that's going to come to our aid and hit that target for us. Basically what he's saying. It's sort of like, if you think of the target as, good happening, (laughs) you know, and whatever needs to be done for some good. The fact that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, the fact that we just keep messing up, it doesn't change the fact that we're going to want some good stuff to happen. We're going to want things to go well, especially for people that we care of, but but we're not going to be able to, he's saying, it's not going to be something that we're going to be able to make it happen. There's going to be mistakes that are made. But don't worry, someone's going to come to it. For those that want to see something happen because we care about someone, don't worry, even though we're going to mess it up, because there's someone that will come to our aid and make it happen for us. And he says that's the intent of the message of Jesus. And then he says, he is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. He's the, he's the means for which that's happening. Bringing us to that place of peace or the good. He's the means for that. And then he says something interesting. He says, not only for ours, but also for the sins or the mistakes of the entire world. What's he getting at there. The next thing he says, we'll we'll come back to that. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, plural, the things that Jesus is saying and from his place as our Savior, uh, the authoritative things that Jesus says in plural. But he starts with this thing and he says, If we keep this in mind, the point of what Jesus is saying, that he is our advocate, that the good things that are happening are happening because he's the one who's making it happen. And and even though we desire to good and and may, you know, he doesn't even say we may do right. He just is saying, look, we're going to end up messing up at some point. (laughs) But Jesus is the one that's making it happen. 
And he says, and this is the case not just for believers or church people or religious people, but this is actually the case. This is what's happening for everybody else. And then he says, we know that we have come to know him. The know that he's saying is um, like saying, if we hear what Jesus is saying, then we will come to know Jesus in it's an experiential type of way. What he's basically saying is this. Here's what's happening for the entire world, including us and everyone else, is God is just going out and making good things happen in our life. Like Jesus said, God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He's quoting from the Old Testament. God's just pouring out his love not just on followers of Jesus or religious people, but on the entire world. That's just a phenomenon, you might say, that's happening. But he's saying, if you listen to what Jesus has to say, all the different things and the purpose for which he's saying it, what will happen is, is by experience then, you'll come to know that this really is Jesus that's doing it. What does he mean by that? Like if, if we think that we're not messing up and we're thinking that we're going around and sort of maneuvering and, you know, saying the right things and like kind of politicking with things and kind of, you know, shading things in a certain way and that things are happening because we're doing all that. We've talked about this before. God's going to continue blessing us because he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So even though we're acting unrighteously, he's still going to take care of us because he loves us and cares about us. But the problem is, is now when he does that, we're not going to think it's him. We're going to think it's all our maneuvering about stuff. And all he's saying here is like, if you were to stop maneuvering for stuff and just take this and just see that, look, I think I should, there's enough that I can empirically draw from the world to understand that I'm just not manipulating everything and that all these good things in my life just aren't coming from me, that I'm really messing up. If we really take that into account, then what that will do is that'll help us at least come to the place of ruling ourselves out of the equation. It's like there's this good stuff that happens, and by me understanding that I've coming to a knowledge of my sin and confessing of my sin, that step, that rules us out. So then you're left with, well, is it luck? Is it coincidence? Or is it Jesus? And that's what he's saying here, is that if you start listening to him and just start ruling yourself out, just take yourself out of the picture a little bit, maybe just stop trying to maneuver everything and just see what happens, then you'll, by your own experience, start to come to an understanding that, oh, I think Jesus is doing this. He says, those who say, I know him, but do not do what he commands. Uh, the, the many things that Jesus says are, are liars, and the truth is not in them. But if anyone obeys his word, singular, uh, love for God is truly made complete in them. 
is saying is, look, if you take all the things that Jesus say, and don't just disregard them as some and make some up some other sayings that Jesus says, but you take everything that he says, and you look at it in the light of his word, singular, the gospel, the singular message, the reason why he's saying this. Then something will happen. We'll start to see that Jesus actually is the one doing these things, that God's the one doing these. What? See, getting it there. You know, a lot of times um, it takes, maybe it doesn't take that. I was going to say it takes being in a loving relationship, but I'm not sure that it actually takes that. But whatever the case is, let's say like a marriage or like a, a deep friend, good friendship, maybe not deep, I don't know. Okay, here's the point. A lot of times, like for instance, Karen will say something to me and she'll ask some questions or, or ask if I'm going to do this or this, and, and I'll just answer those things and just sort of blah, blah, blah. But then the intensity sort of rises because even though I've answered the question, I haven't really answered the intent as to why those questions were asked. <laughs> you get that? Have you ever been in that kind of situation where someone's, maybe someone's angry, maybe it's at work, and you're just sort of answering the question. Well, I answered all your questions, but, but you can tell that you're not answering the intent as to why they asked those questions. Uh, when... People say, look at all the different things that Jesus commanded. John's about ready to give an example of that when he says, you know, you should not, shall not hate your brother. Jesus said to them, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, you know, this is one of the things he says, do not hate your brother. Now, we're in constant denial of the fact that a lot of what we do really is just done out of hate. You know, and that's an easy thing to just deny. But but what Jesus is getting at, why did he say that? If he said that so that we would have a little bit of fear left in by following what his words, that there's some fear of some consequences, the fear of the commands of Jesus is much greater than the fear that we had before. <laughs> so if that's the way we're looking at it with that intent in mind, it would actually add fear <laughs> into our life. It would actually make our burden harsher than it was before. But that's not the purpose for which Jesus was saying that, to make our burdens harsher and to make our life even more difficult. The reason why he was saying that was so that at his time, the people that were religious were feeling smug that they have this, I'm not a murderer, but this other person is. They would pick on some sort of thing that God had said and look at it in the light of what they wanted to prove, that they were better than someone else. And Jesus was telling them that, look, the reason why you're doing that is actually because of hate. The reason why you've picked out this one issue, you're saying, oh, I just want to bring people back to repentance, or I just want people to come back to the law of Moses, or I just want you know, things to go well for us and our country, but, but what, the reason why you're really doing it is out of hate, and that's why he's bringing it up. And the point of what he was bringing it up to them for wasn't to make the burden harsher, it was so that they would give up on the idea 
that they were going to be able to hit the mark themselves, that they needed an advocate, that they needed someone else to hit the mark for them, and that they needed the kind of love and blessing that God had already been giving them, but they didn't see it. He was trying to open their eyes so that they would see that things were going well in their life, not because they were hitting the mark, because they weren't hitting the mark, that things were going well in their life because God forgives them and loves them and cares for them, and he's going to give them a security in his love that that isn't rooted in whether they fail or not fail. He says, If anyone obeys his word, again, that singular message, the love of God is truly made complete in them. Well, why is it made, or it says perfected? Well, why is the love of God perfected? Is it that God was loving at 70% before and now he's going to love at 100%? (laughs) Or that God was sort of imperfectly loving before and now because we've done something, God will perfectly love us? (laughs) No, he's not talking about that. Uh, He says earlier in the chapter before, God in whom there is no darkness at all. God's loving us perfectly right now. The problem is it's not on God's end. It's on our end. You know, a lot of times as a friend, a parent, or whatever, you may love someone and you may really care for them and you can tell they just don't see it. (laughs) It's perfected in this way. And this is the only difference between a believer and, and people. In the, the difference is not that, oh, we're without sin, and they are. That's not, he says. That would be a liar. The difference is not that, that we're doing anything good. He says the difference is, is that we've come to see these experiences in our life, the good that's happening in our life. We've come to become convinced, you might say, even though that's kind of a weird way of saying it, that this is Jesus that's doing it. And the reason why this is so important that we see this is not to push all of us down and make us feel bad or this or that. If that needs to happen, probably needs to happen for a lot of us a lot of times. But the whole point of the whole thing is that we'll be able to see how much God loves us and cares for us so that we'll know that we're loved. And a lot of times for the rest of the world, they're walking around without any knowledge of God's love. And it's not that God doesn't love. And it's not that he's, not, that he's holding back some sort of blessing because people are doing a bunch of stupid stuff. He's, that's the case for people in the church and out of the church. The only difference that's there and the reason why this message is so important of everything that Jesus says and this gospel message is so that we will not just pull it out of the sky of saying, oh, Jesus loves me or God loves me, but I don't really like feel it. So that we'll actually feel it in an empirical type of way because we're seeing and, and what we experience, we just sense or we come to believe that it's warranted that this is God pouring love out on me even though I don't deserve it. It's not at all based on my merit. It's completely 100% the love of God. And he says, this is so important because this is what we need. 
Because without that sense of God's love, without love, we're basically alone and isolated. And he says, and this message is not being given to sort of strip us of all desire to do or anything. He goes, granted, maybe before most of our desire was just based on selfishness and whatever, and we'd just do anyone in if it wasn't going to benefit us. That's maybe where we were. But he says, if we can start coming to actually see, and this message leads us in that direction, it helps us to see that God really does love us. The hope is, John says, we we love in other passages, we, we love because he first loved us. The hope is, is that we'll be able to see that, look, God's just taking care of us. He just loves me. And once we experience that love, maybe we'll have a little bit of love for someone else. And if we do have a little bit of love for someone else, what, what greater love would we have than to be able to help them see, not not help them see that God's, if they repent, that then God will love them. (laughs) Not that. (laughs) But help them see that God's already been loving them. (laughs) He's already been taking care of them. But so often in the church and out of the church, our default is to steal the glory of that love and claim it for ourselves and say, no, that wasn't the love. That was me having done something. And you're trading in what he's getting at here, we're trading in something precious. The sense of actually feeling the love of God in our life and seeing it clearly, which he says, this is the truth, and trading it in for a lie that I've done something, that I've made this happen. A a lie that's just going to leave us stranded and and alone and alienate us and push us into something that he's going to talk about here in a minute, into a bunch of hate. He says, whoever claims to live in him must also walk as Jesus did. Does he mean walk as Jesus did in the sense that Jesus never sinned? That's not going to be possible. There's not a single, uh, what would you say, uh, uh, evidence or there's not a single bit of information in the Gospels that would ever lead us to think that the people following Jesus had stopped sinning. (laughs) There's just stories, and it's like, you know, the whole thing ends with Peter chopping some guy's ear off, and Jesus has to, like, put it back on. The, The, you know, James and John saying, should we call fire down from heaven? There's not any evidence at all that the people that are following Jesus were walking like Jesus walked in the sense that they just never messed up. So what is he referring to then? Because he's just said, don't do that because that would be a lie. Whenever Jesus did anything, he never said, oh, I did this and I did that and I did this. Jesus always said, look, the only thing that I do, I just do whatever I see the Father doing. (laughs) Jesus was, and many times that message came across because sometimes, like, you know, in the New Testament, people, you know, will hold up Peter or, you know, Paul or something like that and think that they're like these really awesome. 
a lot of times in the story of Jesus, when he does something, people immediately start to praise God. There's not that much set if they, they praise God. Whatever he did, he did it in such a way that would cause them to praise God. The, the way that he walked was one in which he was always pointing everyone to the love that God has for us and the things that God is doing to care for us and to intercede in our life to bring good into us, even though, he says, the case is there's no one good but God alone. Even though the case is we don't deserve it, we're enemies to God, God's love is still in our life. And he says, that's the manner in which we should walk. One, it's not something that you just do it out of a religious type thing. It's not something that you just do it as an ethical virtue. It's not something that you're just speaking. It's something that your life is being changed because you're adhering to what Jesus is saying. You're adhering to, you're at least taking notice. And we're not going to be able to do it perfectly. We're constantly going to be talking about things as though I maneuvered or I talked or I did this or I did that. Just, we're just going to end up doing that. But to the extent we can kind of move away from that and just at least come to these points of repentance of just saying, look, I just know I really just sort of messed this all up, but it happened anyways. And see that it wasn't me. I know that for sure. You know, that's empirical enough. And so I'm going to take it as belief from that that I, I really think this is Jesus. And if it is Jesus, and if it is God pouring this love out, then it would have to be in spite of the fact that, that I just don't deserve it. It would have to be a love that's coming to me that's based on forgiveness. And he says when that happens, things will change. And, and that desire that we have to hit the mark, that'll become a little bit more clear. Because hitting the mark will mean then sharing that love. And not sharing that love by putting love in that wasn't there before. That, that's sort of, that sometimes we think of the love of God. So I'm going to come out and love this person. That the love wasn't there before and now all of a sudden the love's there because I handed them a hot dog or something. <laughs> that's not it. It's not that the love wasn't there before. It's that by maybe handing the hot dog or whatever it is we're doing... It's that they will see that the love has already been there in their life and they just haven't been noticing it. Let's pray. Uh, everyone stand as the folks come forward with music and we'll pray together standing. Let's close our eyes. And, and, and as I'm, before I, I start praying and Everyone's thinking, if there's anyone who hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus and in your heart, you can feel it pulling you in that direction and maybe you don't even quite know what that means, but you'd like to start on that journey, uh, raise your hand and, and I'll pray with you right now. Okay, let's pray. And, and anyone, if you have any needs, and part of what's going on with prayer, is it, as we said, it's not starting God's love or instigating it. The love is already there. But a lot of prayer is helping us see that God's the one that's doing it. If you have any needs 
uh, please come forward and, and let us pray for you during these last few songs or at the end. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. And I pray that you would just clear it up in our minds and our hearts to be able to see the love that the Father has for us. And thank you, Lord, for what you've done on the cross. Thank you for what you've done here with Christmas coming down and becoming one of us. We thank you for all that, Lord. And please open our eyes to this message of the love of God based on forgiveness. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.